Diane. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Good. I am super glad to have you here because you are a really passionate RMT and a educator. Yeah, I'm really excited that you're doing this. I'm excited that you've invited me. So this should be a great discussion. It will be. So let's start with something simple. Sure. Uh, like you being an RMT, how did that happen? Yeah, it is a little bit of a story. I, um, I had done a number of different things. I'd kind of taken the scenic route. I did journalism. I went to school. I thought I was going to do horticulture. And I, I just really went around in circles. I was working for a chiropractor. Uh, lots of different places and then I was riding my bike somebody opened their door and I went over and landed on my head and I saw a bunch of different people and then I finally went to an RMT that not only really helped me but I just had this moment where I thought I think I could do this and we started chatting and she just sort of opened this world to me and 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 that's, that's how, it began. how it began. I came to school and off I went. Wow, so a terrible injury and mm-hmm. a great meeting with someone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had been seeing other people before the RMT. Mm-hmm. So what were your experiences like with that? Because a chiro or a physio maybe yeah. didn't, uh, you didn't get drawn to that path. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm not exactly sure what about it. I think something in the connection that... While I had had some good experiences with Cairo, it's not that I had a um, that they weren't helpful, but there was something in the connection that was able to happen with massage therapy that I really felt moved me forward, and I also felt that was something that I could really step into. Right. Mm-hmm. So, what sort of symptoms were you dealing with after the accident? Because it sounds like it'd be quite... Yeah, yeah. Lots of neck pain, headaches, headaches that just weren't going away. Um, Yeah, and I was getting uh, physio, chiro adjustments, all of those things. And then it was just something, uh, I think, not just with the RMT of hands-on, but again, as I sort of will keep coming back to, of that relationship of sort of building me to feel like okay, I was going to be okay again. Right. Uh, that that shifted it uh, for me. And so how long were you dealing with these symptoms until you found that? Yeah, I had um, sort of certainly within the first year, you know, that, that post um, neck pain, headaches uh, that she was really helpful with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what sort of things was helpful oh, in um, that sense? Oh, uh, what did she do? Um, I mean, this was a while ago, so it's sort of like, what did what did she actually <laughs> what did do? Happen? What exactly yeah. did happen? Um, I don't know. I think because she was able to actually deal with the pain. I think that's mm-hmm. probably what a lot of it was, where as physio and Cairo at the time, it was like, okay, let's fix this and let's do this and let's, you know, do the exercises and et cetera. But I was still having a lot of pain, mm. which if for anybody that has pain, um, it's an experience that just sucks the life out of you. And so you don't really want to do anything else. Uh, you go down that rabbit hole. Um, but because she was able to just help me with pain so that I would walk out and I would feel like oh I don't have pain right now so maybe I can go for coffee with a friend or maybe I'm sleeping better or you know just those things Mm -hmm. which sort of leads I think to why I think um, this whole topic of of pain is really interesting of what we think it is what we think helps may not actually be what helps right so did you feel that in maybe a more personal way that 
this RMP connected with your pain? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. how did you feel that, wow, this is actually making a difference in how I'm feeling as opposed to oh, I'm just being prescribed exercises or yeah, stretch I, here and there? Well, I think it was, um, you know, at the time I felt uh, pain resolved and I started sort of moving forward. Um, and then interestingly, I started to go to somebody else. I went to another um, uh, massage therapist. I went to another Cairo uh, and physio. Kind of just, I had changed uh, locations and went to a bunch of different people. And it was such a different experience for me. Um, as far as the first person that I went to see didn't make me feel necessarily broken, mm -hmm. but I was just in pain. And she was going to help me deal with being in pain. Right, and that was a big... That was a big... And I didn't know it at the time because I, I didn't really have an awareness of what that actually meant. I just knew that I was in pain and she was able to help me. Mm -hmm. uh, going to other people where it was really, um, you know, and now this is maybe two years after and I'm still having neck pain and I'm still having, you know, different things. And then I started massage school and then I was really in pain and everybody that's in <laughs> massage school knows that... You just have a lot of pain because you're under stress, you're in right. one position, it's, you know, a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So I would go to a lot of, uh, so I, I would go to people and they would say, oh, well, you know, there's narrowing in your, uh, this thing, and there's, you know, de de degeneration here. and right. um, Like painting this picture. Yeah, this really, really awful picture. And mm -hmm. at the time, uh, there was this, don't ever bend forward. Mm. Don't ever lift anything heavy right. because you'll potentially lose feeling and function in your hands mm -hmm. because of the narrowing in the uh, intervertebral space. And, and uh, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be an, R uh, an RMT uh -huh. and I'm going to lose function in my hands <laughs> if I bend forward or lift anything. So, you know, you stop moving and you stop um, lifting anything yeah well here you are here you are and, and then yeah I'm fine and, fine and everything's okay so <laughs> yeah. so really kind of going from that oh that picture of dysfunction to coming out of that right and, and that's sort of the basis of where I started looking at this a little more in depth mm -hmm. so uh, having the perspective from the as a clinician and as a patient what would you say the most the most common ways that patients and clinicians miss each other so if a patient comes in with pain, um, a clinician may just say, oh, your shoulder hurts because of this, but because of some sort of mechanical error. But right. the patient doesn't connect with that, and they're just like, oh, I don't want to do these exercises, yada, yada, yada. Do you feel like you've been able to bridge that gap at all in your practice because you're like, oh, I know what it's like to be in this sort of pain, so I can, I can really communicate well with this person? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different layers to that, actually. I think one of the first things that potentially gets missed and really, I think, doesn't need to, especially with RMTs, because we are so gifted at connecting with people. I think that's really our strength. Um, but I think it's, for some, it, it becomes the rush to, I need to figure out the why. What's the cause? Why is this person? I've got to figure out the answer. I have to know the why. Um, and, you know, when we were talking about sort of connecting with people or how you're interviewing, I think the first thing is the therapeutic relationship or therapeutic alliance um, that has to happen before anything else can happen. Mm -hmm. Before you can say, I've got the answers, I've got the solution, I've got the thing, before the assessment, before anything else, to make that person feel like I'm completely on your side, I mm -hmm. completely believe you, 
I really want to hear what's going on for you, so tell me what's important for you, and then listen. Like, and listen, and just take all of that in without the panic of, oh my God, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, (laughs) right? Because we all kind of go, oh, I should know the answer. Right. Instead of thinking, they have the answer, I just have to help them uncover it. I just have to get to what are the potential factors in this? Where do they want to go with this? How can I help facilitate recovery versus finding and fixing so-called dysfunctions, right? Right. So it's a facilitation where you're both working Exactly, exactly. As opposed to you've come in with a problem and now I'm going to fix you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really where healthcare has gone or has been going on in in for quite a while but still gets missed is... um, patient-centered care, what that actually means, what Mm -hmm. that looks like, that there's not a hierarchy. It isn't, I'm the expert. Uh, It's not prescriptive and directive. It's really collaborative. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everybody's comfortable with that, including the patients, I think. You know, they, some people are really used to, I don't know the answer, you should know the answer, tell me and and fix me. Um, But I don't think that's actually sustainable for somebody's long-term care to get out of something as complex as pain. Right. So you would say it's almost a misconception on both parties then, as in the patient is almost thinking like, I'm coming to you, so you should just be fixing me? Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it, is that on both sides of, um, and I think that having, if the therapist is able to really set that expectation of this is collaborative Mm. and you really are a valuable part of, you're the most important part of this equation. Right. So what what do you bring? How do I help you bring this to the table? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what does what does a, having a patient centered practice mean to you? Or wh- how do you see that playing out in your practice or how you've seen other people do it well? Is there something where you're like, wow, this person is really, really bridging that gap or making a shift? Mm, um, again, uh, setting that alliance of I'm on your side and I believe you and Mm -hmm. validating. Um, Meeting people where they are, I think, is probably one of the biggest. Uh, Are they actually ready to make some changes? Mm -hmm. Are they ready to move forward? Uh, How much information do they want? Do they really, are they really in, I just want to get on the table and have a passive experience and I don't really want much more than that? Mm -hmm. Um, And then if that's going to become an ongoing relationship where that person is coming in of you of needing to connect with that person of going but where do you actually want to go with this like what are the things that are maybe limiting in your life that you're not doing and how do we get you there Um, but I think there needs to be a bridge for people to actually get there Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of okay they're not there they're not doing their home care they clearly don't want to get better because they're not doing their home care. They don't want yeah. to exercise and they're not quitting, you know, yeah, because yeah. they're not doing it. And it's so easy to get frustrated um, and instead going, OK, uh, this is about you and where you want to go. Uh, so how do we make that happen? Right. So that bridge, we can segue into a little bit mm-hmm. of pain science stuff mm-hmm. because that gives us an interesting lens that is backed by some research and has a bit more tangibility to it that um, lends itself to running a bit more of a patient-centered practice. So pain science has been growing in popularity a lot recently. Mm -hmm. Not that it's new, but Mm -hmm. it's just getting a bit more of the limelight for some reason. So could you give people a brief rundown of what 
is getting so popular about what are science. what are people talking about what are people talking about and why and why why, why are they talking about this um <laughs> uh if you don't mind i'm just going to jump back to my experience in massage school for a right. second yeah. uh I went through massage school and I thought that at the end of two and something years, I would know everything. Because it's, you know, it's, there's a lot going on and I'm thinking, I'm going to know everything. (laughs) And then to my surprise, I was like, wow, I still don't know why people hurt. Mm -hmm. This still doesn't make sense. People are coming in that I look at and think they should be in a lot of pain. From what I've learned of what was happening with their hips and their shoulder alignment and things, I'm like, and you don't have pain? Like, what? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> What's going on? And then people that you that would talk about the amount of pain that they have, and I would think, I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that is show. There's nothing. This has been going on. It doesn't seem to have come from somewhere. I don't know what's happening. And so none of this really made sense to me, this, this very orthopedic model that we get, mm-hmm. um, orthopedic structural things like pronation and knee valgus and hip alignment and all these things uh, in relation to pain was not what my experience was personally, and it wasn't my experience in the clinic. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at this, and I also knew a number of people in my life that have chronic pain like fibromyalgia, complex regional pain syndrome, like all of these really, really incredibly uh, intense experiences. And it also didn't explain any of that, of why you would have pain for decades. Mm -hmm. And that can't be because you're pronating, right? Like, (laughs) so. So um, so pain science then is, it's a shift, maybe not away from, but um, to include this new idea, new set of ideas that isn't quite all biomechanical. Exactly. Your pain isn't always stemming from exactly. some sort of deviation from whatever alignment or proper movement we deem suitable. Right. Especially persistent pain, which really mm. doesn't seem to make sense after. Like pain really makes sense in a linear fashion when you roll over on your ankle, sprain your ankle. Mm. You get bruising and swelling and it hurts for maybe a week or two, depending on the grade of sprain. That makes a lot of sense. And you can kind of see, okay, that's what's happening. Um, But then two years later, when that person still has pain in their ankle, that's where it it became unclear to me of why was that happening. And we Mm -hmm. still were explaining that with, oh, well, you're the pronation or the the overpronation or this is happening in the structural model. But it was kind of like, well, they were doing that their whole life. So why... Like, Mm, why is this suddenly a a thing? Um, So I think that pain science is just widening the view or has really widened the view. And it really started with the um, gate control theory of pain, like Mm. in 1965, that really took the pain is just about a physical um, tissue issue, Mm -hmm. like in a very linear, if you have a lot of damage, you have a lot of pain, to actually the brain, the nervous system, the spinal cord are not just relay systems for a pain signal. They actually are about processing. And so when people have persistent pain, it becomes more of a processing issue in the nervous system, in the immune system, endocrine, all of these different systems that almost like an overprotective alarm system. And what I found is that I think why more and more people are talking about it is because it starts to make sense for things that you go, wow, I, this didn't make any sense. Like, why is this happening? And why is pain so weird? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then you start to go, oh, well, because it's so much bigger than we thought it was. Right. So you mentioned it being almost like an overactive alarm system. Mm -hmm. And so then how would you explain what pain is? Because at the initial uh, onset of an injury, like you said, with an ankle sprain, it all makes a lot of sense. There's prostaglandins, inflammatory markers that are going on that can be contributing to pain along with other things. Mm -hmm. But then two years later, um, there's obviously still some signaling issues going on with the pain. Um, so does that act like an alarm system? What what exactly? Yeah, I you know, and I think all of this is these, as they're called, like explanatory models of how we try and take something that is so hugely complex mm-hmm. and put it into something uh, that we can make a little bit of sense of. Um, Lorimer Mosley, uh, a leading pain science researcher, uh, he he really puts down probably one of the most important points if you're just starting to get into pain science is pain is about protection. Pain is not about damage. So if you can separate for somebody that pain is about protection, it's not about tissue damage. It doesn't mean you can't have, obviously you can have pain when you have tissue damage, mm-hmm. but you can also have pain when you don't have tissue damage. You can have a huge amount of pain or sorry, you can have a huge amount of damage Mm -hmm. and not have any pain. Like it's just so bizarre of how this processing actually works. Um, I think the thing that really gets thrown into the the ring is phantom limb pain, right? As soon Mm -hmm. as you think that, oh, well, I know what pain is. Phantom limb pain, (laughs) there it is, explain that. What the heck is that about, right? Right. Um, So if you think of pain as protection, if you, whether it's acute, whether you rolled over on your ankle, your body is needing to get you to not move. It's in protection mode, uh, inflammatory response, all of those different things that are going on. And you have pain so you don't move it until the tissue heals. Mm-hmm. Great. Tissue heals, pain resolves, kind of almost like a, a negative feedback loop, you mm-hmm. could think. And then if you were perhaps to think of persistent pain like a positive feedback loop that keeps getting a signal that keeps feeding the cycle over right, and amplifying. over and over. Yeah, amplifying, amplifying, learning it almost. All of these different um, components in the nervous system, immune system, brain, really get better and better and more sensitized to producing pain. To producing pain. Yeah. So then it seems like people take that idea and extrapolate it to, well, then pain is all in your head. Mm. And uh, there's um, nothing wrong with your body, it's just in your head, you should just like forget about the pain and it'll go away, which right. is definitely not true, no. um, because a lot of people I'm sure have tried it. <laughs> and it's and you mentioned that with your uh, previous experience mm-hmm. with the uh, bike accident, that you had been experiencing pain for long after the injury, mm-hmm. and my guess is that you didn't think it away. <laughs> so I, how, yeah. how, how, is your, yeah. how is your experience with uh, pain over a longer period of time influenced how you relate to this information? Um, Yeah, thanks for asking that. Uh, I think one of the big things is if you've ever, we've all experienced pain because you have to, it's part of our survival system. Um, But if you've ever experienced persistent pain that's gone longer than three months and doesn't seem to be explained by anything, um, all of this becomes much less theoretical Mm -hmm. uh, and much more real of okay, I know it's not in my head. And I really like the, almost the first thing in that therapeutic alliance is to validate somebody's experience, to, to validate their pain. If you feel pain, it's pain, it's real. 
Like that's the end of the story. If you experience pain, pain is an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a multifactorial experience um, with many factors involved across the biopsychosocial domain is mm-hmm. kind of how they put it. Um, so which means that the biology is really important and the biology isn't just the biomechanical structure. The, the biology is the sensitization all the way down to ion channels, to nociceptors, to the processing, to uh, the inflammatory response. Like the bio is so much more complex than I think that we really think about. And then uh, the psychology and the social that all of those components, just like any experience, mm-hmm. kind of like if I'm talking about an experience that I had, I had a great family dinner the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, it was phenomenal. And yeah. if you were to say, that it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a painful experience. It was actually, it kind of sucked for you. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't uh-huh. see any evidence that it was good. Right. Right? Uh-huh. It's my experience. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I can convey that experience to you is through my dialogue of describing my experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with pain. And so I think that is really an important step of allowing somebody to describe their experience. Right. And I think that's such an awesome idea of pain being an experience because experiences have so many different levels. And components. Exactly. Exactly. So do you think there's a way or have you found when you were going through um, your injury that you were able to relate to the pain differently or that you were able to experience, uh, experience or understand the pain more? That it wasn't just like, ow? Maybe you felt like, oh, there's this underlying experience to the pain. Does that make sense? As I started learning about this, is that what you mean? Or Yeah, as you started learning about it, or maybe even when you were in mm. the persistent pain. Okay, yeah. Did you change the way that you related to it? Yeah, or? I think, well, just to go back to you can't think your way out of it, and I think that's the, you know, when you hear this, mm-hmm. you can think, oh, just positive think or think differently, or, you know, it's, um, and even knowing all of this information, even Mm. studying all of this and really being behind it, I would do, I would try and do a forward somersault and my neck would go in complete spasm and I'd be laying on the floor not able to move. Really? Agonizing pain. And I would know, I'd be like, I know my neck is fine. I know my (laughs) neck is fine. I know that I'm not going to be paralyzed. And I would still have to work through of just like breathing, gentle movement, getting my body to to really trust the fact, you know, Mm -hmm. you are okay because I can't override pain, which is part of our survival system. You can't just simply mentally override that, even if you consciously know better. (laughs) Yeah. So that was an interesting thing for me to actually go. I actually completely understand what's happening, Mm -hmm. that my body has gone into this is dangerous. This position is dangerous um, and gone full protection mode where I'm laying on my back going, oh my God, I can't move my neck at all. Uh, And knowing that and still having to go, okay, (laughs) just just breathe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. And do all of those things to to help it actually calm down. So do you still experience almost relapses like that or where you still avoid certain movements or certain things are a little trigger response? And if not, was there any moment where you felt that shift change? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So I did for a long time really have to work through this. 
because um, as I say, I knew better, I, or not knew better. I knew a lot about yeah, pain information. Yeah, of an understanding of what my body was doing, what was happening, um, that the degeneration in my neck was completely normal. Everybody over 40 has it, it's you know fine. Um, but it was the moment when I went to get a new bike and the bike, the guy at the bike store, uh, I, he said, you should get drop bars if you're gonna do bike touring. And I said, no, I can't be in that <laughs> position. Thank you very much. I need to be like completely straight up. Yeah. And he's looking at me going, you're gonna do multi, like, multi-day like trips on a bike, on a touring bike? You need to get drop bars. I'm like, no, I can't. And I'll so I'll just time. do it straight the whole time. And it was him that started the process of, he was filming me and he was putting me in different positions on the bike because mm -hmm. we were doing a bike fit. And he said, how does this feel at one point? And I said, oh, this feels really great. This is really good. And he shows me the video of me at about 50 degree angle. So I'm in mm -hmm. a drop bar position on the, bike, yeah. on the bike. And it was like this complete sort of disconfirmation of what my perception was of, of how I had to be. Right. And so that started the window. It didn't, it didn't mean that, oh, that was it, mm -hmm. that it was over. Mm -hmm. But it certainly started sort of poking holes in that idea that I couldn't do this. And then I had to slowly, like inch by inch by inch, work my way into that position comfortably for long period, like so that I could actually do it for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And now it's completely gone. Now, yeah. yeah, now I'm on a road bike in a full on, <laughs> like really aggressive position and I feel really good. So Wicked. yeah, that yeah, amazing. yeah, but it was a slow, even knowing all of this information, it was a slow process of a little bit breathing, body is okay, body is okay, we're okay in this, go down a little mm -hmm. bit more, body is okay, breathing, breathing, you know, all yeah. those good things. But you felt that almost shattering of your expectations mm -hmm. in the instrumental process. Yeah. So yeah. before that, you were you exposed to um, a situation where you weren't in as much pain as you thought? Or was that the first time where you that ended was, up being... Yeah, that was really the first time. And I think that's just the way that the word that you just used, the expectation mm -hmm. of breaking people's expectation. Uh, because it's not just about the conscious, oh, I have an expectation. It's like the predictive coding that happens in the brain and the body of what we think is going to happen and how everything responds to what we think is gonna happen. That's right. how our brains work, right? Yeah, so our brain's more of a predictive. Yeah, method. much more predictive. Yeah. So we have all of these expectations of, of how things are gonna be in the world and what's gonna happen when we do a certain thing. And I think that's been, that's the part of pain management that I think is really starting to get exciting of mm. breaking people's expectations. So if they do a certain movement, they bend over every time, they have this expectation every time they bend over, they have now this sort of predictive uh, quality mm -hmm. um, and if you can just shake that a little bit like shake right. that foundation and go can we get you to just have an experience that disconfirms or discon disconfirms that right mm -hmm. yeah and that's obviously for you was an instrumental was, part yeah that was a huge part yeah, yeah yeah and again but not the oh and then that's over it's still the process of going okay that's poked a hole in it and now let's let's play with that and really work with it. Right, and that's really interesting because going back to when we were talking about um, having like a patient-centered practice, mm -hmm. um, patient expectations play a huge part in that then. Yeah. Because um, if we're forced into a role of, I'm coming here, you're gonna make me better, yada, 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 then we never get a chance to 
partake in that experience of mm-hmm. the experience of the entire experience of pain and then almost um, the disbelief and when we find out we can do certain things we thought we couldn't yeah um, and obviously this is more for a persistent pain sort of scenario so what in what regard does patient expectation relate to how much attention a clinician should put onto that topic so if um, a patient comes in should the clinician do everything they can to find out what the patient is wanting out of the session um, and will that make a difference or is it just they're going to come in who cares what they think uh, we'll do what we can do if it works it works doesn't it doesn't um let's see if i if i've got your question yeah, here of, it was a bit mumbly. yeah no that's okay I, I think there's a few different things in there that i just want to get to um mm-hmm. so the expectation i think there's the expectation of the client coming in going, what is this session going to look like? So what is Mm. manual therapy actually going to do? And then the expectation um, from their limiting beliefs, I guess, which I think are Mm. kind of two different types of expectation, like like expectation of I'm going to come in for massage therapy. I'm going to lay on the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to do your thing. uh, And then that's going to fix me. Um, And then their expectation that if I move, I hurt. If I move, I do more damage. Um, I just read this great paper because I also uh, also have knee issues on mm-hmm. top of everything else. Um, <laughs> the bike accident. The bike accident enough. enough. No, yeah. no, I have to have knee things. Um, uh, about a paper saying, and, and I just devour these papers that say um, there's no evidence to show that further loading damages joints, or Mm. if you have, say, a rotator cuff uh, issue, further load or exercise does not cause more damage. Um, For the idea to really, again, poke a hole in the idea that pain is about damage. If you move more, it's about more damage, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, yep, if it's about protection and you move in a certain way or a different way or a new way, uh, your system might sort of send up some flares going, hey, I don't know what this is. It just means maybe back it up and slow it down and calm everything before you move uh, and breaking that expectation that they're having that movement equals pain, mm-hmm. uh, which equals damage. Like if they're stuck in that place that movement equals pain equals damage, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of places that you can go. So if you can go, yeah, it's like, well, to get you moving means that we're going to have to kind of push into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's the first sort of expectation to break. Or the first expectation is to go, are you okay if we start to do something a little different than just Mm. you laying on the table? Because I think this might actually get you where you want to go. Because I heard you when you said you wanted to go here. (laughs) Right? Right. So you're bringing that around each time to go, where are you in this equation? you were saying earlier, I have so much, I just eat this information up about pain science and I yeah. have so much information and that I've read and it's hard for me sometimes to not just want to dump that on somebody. Did you know this? Did right. you know this? This is really interesting. This is really great. Like yeah, so I can just talk <laughs> at you. Um, and I heard somebody, uh, I think it was Ben Cormack, who is uh, somebody else, a uh, physio from the UK that's a great resource. He said, uh, are you talking at people about pain or are you speaking with people about their pain? Mm. And that's such a huge difference. So it's, I think for us again, in the 
what is your experience? Because it's an experience. Mm -hmm. And lots of different things are going to be part of that experience, including maybe sleep, isolation, uh, job fears, taking care of yourself fears, all of those parts of the experience. Tell me your experience, and then we can start to work with this. Right, and then you can utilize that. That as where you're going to go, okay, well, we need to... I'm seeing some expectations or limiting beliefs or however you want to phrase it and say, okay, we need to kind of get into those a little bit right. uh, so we can get that cycle out of pain, movement equals uh, pain equals damage. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough place to be stuck. That's in. really tough to be stuck. Right. And not that none of that matters because sometimes pain is correlated with some tissue damage. Absolutely. Right? So there is a time and a place for it, but it doesn't give us an entire picture. Is that is that right? Yeah, and I think that one of the things when RMTs say, well, how do I know, you know, what if there is tissue damage? Mm. Like, you know, so knowing things like tissue healing states, if somebody sprained their ankle two years ago, mm-hmm. they're not they're not still in tissue healing, right? right? Even right. if it was a third degree sprain, they're still, like knowing that for one, um, using the tools instead of trying to find a cause mm-hmm. to disconfirm, like to use everything to disconfirm the expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going through this right now with my knees of having right. somebody go, let's do ligamentous stress tests. Mm-hmm. Okay, you feel weak, so let's do a manual muscle test. Huh, right. interesting. So it, it's not enough to just give somebody information to say that's going to challenge the expectation that they have. Mm-hmm. We have to use them, their body, their what they are actually experiencing in any way we can to say, can we disconfirm your expectation here? Right. Yeah. And that's a much deeper rabbit hole to go down, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to find it, you have to figure out so much more about the person, um, work together with them, and then get them to do things that may be a bit out of their comfort zone to find out if they're ready to, to move to that space. A little bit, but I'd actually say it's almost simpler. Almost simpler. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say it's simpler because if you're using things like assessment and test to try and find the cause, mm-hmm. which is what we often do, mm-hmm. of going, I need to figure out the why. Why are they hurting? What is going on? What's like all the different parts of this experience? As opposed to if somebody says, uh, my wrist feels really weak. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing this. And I go, well, let's test that out. Yeah, let's see if that's Yeah, the case. and as yeah. soon as we do that, and I go, does, that feels really strong to me. That's like a grade five. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as weak as maybe you're thinking that it does. Our perceptions don't always correlate to what we feel. And then, which is a great window into pain is exactly like that. It's not correlated to exactly what our feelings are. The longer we have pain, it really messes with our perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as you start poking holes again you have that exactly you have that window um so i don't think you actually need to go as as deep to start poking holes Mm. and then start to go um okay so now you can do that so what what was it that you wanted to do oh you wanted to get back to playing tennis so you're stronger than you think maybe we can get you playing tennis so start with 10 minutes against the wall see how that feels right like it i i think that we feel like we have to solve all the problems. Um, It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you remember how much I hate car analogies in the body, Mm, but I'm going to use one anyway. (laughs) Um, Kind of like if you're stuck in the mud, right? Mm. And you're spinning your tires, you're spinning your tires, and 
you know, you have all of these people coming in going, okay, well, let's put a brand new set of tires on there. Let's, oh my gosh, it's, you're still not moving. Let's overhaul the engine. I'm not a car person, so I'm going to go off into, you know, let's, <laughs> you know, our, yeah, uh, something else is happening. Let's get the coolant system and the fan belt and we'll do blah, 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 blah. You're still stuck in the mud, right? Mm-hmm. You're still spinning your tires until somebody comes along and just goes, can we put some well-placed traction? Mm-hmm. Can we go, okay, a little bit of gas now, let go, a little bit of momentum, here we go, a little bit of momentum, go, 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 traction, and you're off and running. I don't need to overhaul the entire car to go, now they're moving. Right. And now they're not stuck in the mud. Yeah. Right? I think that is an absolutely amazing analogy to, to bring that all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that what so often happens is the you know, let's get to the alignment of the pelvis and let's get the orthotics and let's get the blah, blah and the fascial adhesions and et cetera and overhaul the thing. And the person at the end is still going, I'm still stuck in the mud, not able to do the things that I want to do. Right. And that's even more frustrating. Right. Exactly. Now they found out, wow, there's 10 other things wrong. That's right. Now they're not only are they stuck, they're more stuck now. Like you've actually made them more stuck. You made the mud deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've just like poured water and added more dirt and added more (laughs) stuff. And now they're just spinning, spinning, spinning. Right. Um, And I think that's where people really get stuck. And I think that's why it's so important um, for clinicians to start looking at a bigger picture of pain. Right. And so you are playing a part in getting clinicians to look at a bigger part of pain because you're an educator as well. Mm -hmm. So what... What prompted you to get into that aspect of the profession? A couple of things, I think. One was seeing how often this would happen of people coming in being very stuck Mm. from 10 different stories, from 10 different practitioners. And I thought, I'm trying to educate clients as best as I can. What if I jumped a little further upstream Mm. and started getting students and started planting some seeds? And that was really my intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to discover, oh my gosh, I love teaching. Like I love teaching so much. I love that dynamic um, process. And uh, you know, I feel like I learn as much as my students most of the time. So right. that's a really yeah. nice. Um, as a past student, you're. I, I here we are. You yeah. know, however many. You know. Months or months years, or years later, later yeah. after me sprinkling some seeds going, I hope they, they see where them. they go and <laughs> see what happens. Right. And so that's that's the exciting part of mm-hmm. teaching for you then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, for me, I love learning. I think probably that's one of the biggest things also why I like being an educator. I love mm-hmm. learning. Uh, so facilitating that in other people. Um, trying to get people to see connections, make their own connections, make their own discoveries, mm-hmm. see the world bigger, see the body uh, as bigger. I think that's my biggest problem with um, the sort of bio- biomechanical or structural model. I feel like it's almost uh, feeling like Earth-centered as opposed to going, do you realize we're part of an entire universe? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's what it feels like for yeah. me of going... Yeah, this is, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's not like the biomechanical structural doesn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Earth exists, but it's like so much bigger than that. Right. And so trying to get people, students excited about that and not frightened by it and go, yeah, there's some really great connections that you can be making here. Right. So how do you see things changing in the future as maybe students are educated a bit differently, 
different research comes more to the forefront, like pain science becoming more popular and maybe changing how we're doing certain treatments. Mm-hmm. Do you think there will be much of a shift? And do you have any idea of what that might look like mm-hmm. in the future mm-hmm. of how, how an RMT might run a treatment as opposed to today? Yeah. Other than maybe being in virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's why our job is so unbelievably safe because mm-hmm. as technology you know, grows and so many jobs are at risk, you can't take away touch, like you can't of how powerful that is, mm-hmm. of how much that is able to change uh, and interact with people's nervous systems. So I think that that's pretty, that will always sort of be the foundation. Right. Um, it's interesting to think where things will go because I remember when I started looking at this maybe seven or eight years ago into the whole sort of pain science rabbit hole uh, and very few people were talking about it mm. in you know RMT world here uh, and I would get so frustrated talking to people and getting this these blank stares of what on earth are you talking She's about crazy. yeah and now to see so many people, so many more courses, so many discussions. Um, the fact that I'm teaching pain and stress management in a different way in the school, mm-hmm. incorporating this is, yeah. I never would have thought that eight years ago. So right, you right. just, I, you know, it's so interesting to see, sometimes you think, oh, we're moving so slowly, but at the same time, seeing more people say, I want the bigger view, this I'm not connecting with, just the biomechanical Mm. or you know I I realized we're out of date and we need to move forward so just seeing all of those little pockets of people moving forward yeah uh, I think is exciting and I think that it's really exciting if RMTs don't get threatened by the explanation that what we're doing isn't what we thought or why, it doesn't work the way we thought it works. Right. It's actually working in a different way. We're not actually sort of physically changing collagen fibers or releasing adhesions or, or et cetera. Um, but at the same time, we also know that when you can connect people to movement, to themselves, to calming their nervous systems, uh, I feel like there we have the ability to have a much more profound impact mm-hmm. if we just kind of step out of the very limiting belief that it's about finding and fixing dysfunctions. Dysfunction. Yeah, I yeah. feel like we we really have a powerful role in that. And I think what's exciting is research around movement. It's It doesn't have to be the specific, do this at this angle and do these many reps and do et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different places for movement to go mm-hmm. um, that I think we can step into. Right. Yeah. So we, Almost, would you say that you almost feel that we will expand in what we do and that will, yeah. as opposed to say maybe, um, say now someone's idea is that they come in and they just get a massage and then they leave. Yeah. And maybe later on people will see that, oh, this is, a, this is more than just like them trying to fix my dysfunction. Yeah. This is them getting to the, maybe not the root cause, but getting me back to doing what I Right, so if we go back to pain being about protection Mm -hmm. and turning that protection system down, uh, the most research I think in massage therapy is around anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. sort of part of that psychosocial part, right? Right. So so that's one way that we're able to turn down the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it kind of almost like um, 
instead of going, here's the massage therapy and now you're fixed or now you feel better. It's like, Mm -hmm. here's the window. Yes, we decreased pain, which we're so good at, Mm -hmm. which gives us a window to say, okay, so so do something that you really want to do or let's, you know, make the first step towards hula hooping again or hiking again because that's where you want to get to so we're going to give you a few step ups just do you know and we don't need to be exercise specialists Mm -hmm. we just need to start to be able to guide people into what they want to do and I think that that's not as complicated as it necessarily I I feel like RMTs kind of shy away of oh but I'm not an exercise Mm -hmm. you know and I don't think that you actually need to be I think you know that's where listening what are the uncomfortable bits for that person? What's setting off their pain? What's setting off their flare-up? How do we manage that pain? How do we get them to be able to move comfortably and confidently into that um, with that amazing therapeutic reliance, uh, alliance that we're able to create? I think we there's so much room, again, if we could just sort of let go a little bit of our grip on the fixing dysfunctions. Right. Yeah. So what do you see your job as? As an RMT, mm. do you think my job is to get someone out of pain? My job is to fix postural alignment. My job. What, what would you say that when someone comes in? Yeah. What is what? What's your marker for? I did what I could. Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think again it comes to them, right? Mm. Like, what is their success measure? The yeah, them yeah. as in the patient. It's like I heard somebody else kind of say, you know is their goal that they want to be able to reach the top shelf to get like things out of the top shelf of their cupboards, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to if I'm saying, oh, but I want you to get that full 180 degree of whatever, right? You know, that's my marker. Right. Yeah. Like have they, have they got full range of motion or are they able to do what they want to do? Right. Right. Um, And is pain free on the table, is that the complete goal, right? So I think that comes down to what are the markers? I don't know the markers. I have to get to them to say, what are your markers? And setting SMART goals, SMART goals, the specific, measurable, attainable, um, realistic, and having some sort of time, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can say, yeah, what are the markers that we're gonna know that we're moving in the direction that you wanna go? Mm -hmm. And again, patient-centered care, what, where are, it's all coming from them, so. Yeah, that's excellent, and I think that brings us full circle mm. back to patient-centered care, mm-hmm. which I think you're doing excellently. Thank um, you, very, very well, and um, you're making a shift in students and the future of RMTs in Vancouver, which is absolutely amazing. So, I think that's a great note to end on. All and right, thank you so much. The last thing yes. is if you have any recommendations for resources that people can go to, because. As you said, you're nonstop devouring information. Information. On this stuff. So, where, yes. if there's a curious mind out there, um, yeah, where can you plant some seeds? Where can they go? Yeah. So, there's some really great uh, accessible resources. If this is brand new to you, uh, I would suggest Lorimer Mosley, "Why Things Hurt," his Why TED Talk. Hurt. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's now over ten years, um, but it's a really great starting point of of thinking pain is bigger than we think it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Todd Hargrove has a great blog series. He's a Feldenkrais rolfer out of Seattle. Uh, Really, really great accessible short blogs that you can get some information. 
Greg Lehman at, uh, is it GregoryLehman.com? GregLehman.ca. Greg I'll, I'll yeah. put it in the Okay, so perfect. He's probably one of the best resources because he has a patient workbook that's free mm. on his website. And so you can work through this on your own. You can work through it with patients. It's, uh, it's designed for both. And it doesn't get so information heavy mm. that you think, I'm a massage therapist. I need to have something that I actually practically do. So I would say he would be a great place to start as well. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Dean. And I really enjoyed our chat. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.